Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is Taylor Dammel and The Shark. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. This episode of Feet is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all-natural soaps. Find them at beachhousesoaps.com. Your College Hooper of the Week is Lace Darius Dunn, former shooting guard from Baylor. Yes, of course, we had to make this a Baylor-centric episode. Congrats, first and foremost, to your national champions from Waco. So we'll be talking a lot about Baylor in this upcoming episode, of course. Uh, Lace Darius Dunn, though. Taylor coming in here to the video conference with uh, Tweedy Carter as a name. A lot of good names coming out of Baylor. Scott Drew finally gets over the hump. Uh, He built this program on the backs of guys like Lace Darius Dunn and Tweedy Carter, and now uh, the Bears have reaped the benefit of that, and they are national champs, so hug for Baylor. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is, and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel. And the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. So we've opened the curtains here for Titch, which is our last episode, regular episode of the season. We're going to be transitioning to our off-season cadence, which is essentially two episodes per month. Maybe if we're feeling frisky or ambitious, we go three or four. But we this is the last episode, and we're basically just going to be talking about the final four, general thoughts on the tournament, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, because while we opened the curtains, the curtain closed on the tournament. What a tournament it was. It was so great to have it back. I think now I'm, I'm a little sad, but it's not like I was experiencing the same sadness that I was the Tuesday after the first round where I was just depressed and down in the dumps. Now I'm just kind of, it's one of those, you know, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it, that it happened sort of deals. Uh, the final four, really, if we take a step back, there was only one great game but it made up for the other games that were terrible. And Baylor, that just shows you how dominant they really were. They dismantled Houston, dismantled Gonzaga, but we did get an absolute gem in Gonzaga versus UCLA, which was more than enough, really, for a couple rounds of of bad games. Shark, let's start with you. I want to get your general thoughts on the Final Four here and what we experienced this past weekend. Great weekend. Great way to tap, uh, you know, top off an outstanding season. We got it back, everything that we were hoping for. Um, it does your your point, your metaphor. I don't know if it was a metaphor or an analogy, but it, it is kind of sad that it ended. It reminds me of, you know, leaving a wedding. You know, you leave a wedding or something. You see everyone, everyone had a great weekend, and then you're just Sunday, and everyone hates their lives, and you go back to whatever cube you were in or whatever hole you were in, and you just wait for the next wedding to have a great week, uh, a great time. For us, it's just another March, so. It hurts in that regard, but it was an outstanding finish, a dominant performance by 
without a doubt the best team in college basketball this year. I'll argue with anyone on that point. I know some people, you know, I sent a tweet out after the game about um, I wasn't really even trying to criticize Gonzaga. It was just commenting on the fact that, hey, look, guys, you play cupcakes for two months. All right. That takes a toll on you. And everyone can say, oh, they played a great they pr- played a great calendar here in the in March. You know, they're playing power five teams, power six teams throughout the tournament. But do that twice a week for two, two and a half months, man. I mean, that, that's that's what the Big 12 is. That's what the Big 10 is. That's what the SEC is. Now, good counter would be the Big Ten's never won a title since 2000. That's a fair, fair counter. Good counter by myself to myself on that point. But, you know, I could I could keep going around in circles on these points, but. Really, I just think you saw a team that wasn't really built to grind it out after playing multiple games. Timmy looked soft. Kispert got a little bit hurt. Uh, the foul trouble for Suggs, who's outstanding, didn't really help them. But it was a great game, and Baylor deserved every single ounce of credit for that one. I think your wedding analogy is perfect because now I'm just pavloving for the next one. Luckily, weddings, we have more and more and with the vaccines rolling out. You know, Weddings will be a lot more popular here, and we'll be able to get to more. Taylor, what were your thoughts on this Final Four weekend? I hate to be the West Coast guy, but the Pac-12 with three of the last eight teams uh, even tougher than uh, expected this year, too. So even if Gonzaga played in the Pac-12, you'd have more uh, uh, competition on a day-in, day-out basis. And I'm glad you brought that up because um, – I think Gonzaga almost got overly criticized yesterday and today for playing in the West Coast Conference because they did have a good out-of-conference schedule, but you are completely correct in saying that it's one thing to get up for these games eight times a year. It's another thing to get up for these games every single day of the year. I mean, Baylor lost twice this year. Watching that game last night, you think to yourself, how the fuck did this team lose? A single game this year but that's just what playing in a tough conference is is like now um it's funny you brought up or go ahead go ahead well, i was just going to jump in like because i hate the guy that just pokes holes and and uh you know just pokes holes at teams without offering a solution so the natural question is all right what's gonzaga supposed to do like schedule some great team uh in february um you know i think they probably could i mean we we do you find ways to implant big 12 sec challenges i know Tennessee played Kansas. It might have been rescheduled, but why can't they go off-roading a little bit and schedule one of those games later in the season? Yeah, it's not sustainable over a longer period of time, but I think it's probably a good idea for Mark Few just to kind of test them a little bit harder. Uh, But at the same time, I mean, they're bringing in a phenomenal recruiting class. They're going to break through eventually. It just kind of showed this year that the team wasn't as tough as Baylor. Well, it's not like they didn't try to play Baylor this year, too. Yeah, but that game would have been been in December, right? Well, right, but I'm just saying it's not like they it's not like they're they're trying to not play a good schedule. I guess is what well, yeah, I, I know. And they what what are they supposed to do? That's the natural counter. Yeah, I don't know. Right, I mean, how yeah, are, I don't know are you going to play Pepperdine in Portland twice a week and <laughs> every single week. I mean, that's well, pretty. And, and let's not forget they, they let's not forget also they played West Virginia dismantled or they they beat them I think by single digits but they dismantled Kansas as well. So they had those, but to your point, Shark, it wasn't every necessarily bit. later in the season. Everybody dismantled Kansas. Please, that one that one hurt a little bit. I went out on USD, the limb in the final four. Yeah, yeah. yeah they did. But Eastern, yeah, go ahead, Eastern, Eastern Washington almost beat them too. So I mean, yeah, Didn't, it's, good good well, win okay. for my Jayhawks. Right, you're you're Jayhawks, right? But it's funny, I, even though I hate to admit this, um, I was at a wedding during the final four. Speaking of weddings, and it, you know, who gets married during a final four? ASU fans. That's who gets married during a final four. That's a whole nother discussion, though. But we all, fortunately, we were able to watch the Houston Baylor game at home before the wedding even started. So that was a, that was a, you know, uh, not even really a notable game other than the fact it was in the final four. But it was pretty funny that at our table specifically, all of us had the game streaming on our phone during the reception and the groom even came on the mic uh, during the wedding and said, Hey guys, it's okay. Like I get it. It's during the final four. The game's going to overtime, whatever. And so the, we had like six or seven guys behind us watching the game at our table, including the groom. And um, when Suggs hit that shot, ever the place just exploded. And uh, Subi and I were talking about this a little bit, but it was probably the most normal that I felt in over a year. It was, I was at a 200 person wedding. I'd played golf with some dudes that morning and there was a great final four game going on that we were all interested in and that we were all like rooting for just whatever, uh, you know, glued to. And 
that was a pretty cool moment. Even though I was at a wedding and I, I don't want to say that I wouldn't have rather been there. I would have obviously enjoyed watching the entirety of the game, but it was pretty awesome to be in a group of people finally for once, really all glued to a college basketball game, especially a final four game. Let me tell you something. You got to update your circle of friends because you were at Top Golf for a birthday party on Selection Sunday. You had a wedding to go to, Final Four. Update that circle of friends, man. Get them to get them to a place or get to a place where you're only very close with people who plan their calendar around March. Rothstein even tweeted this. He's just beside himself, incredulous at the fact that people even plan any sort of time off during. He expects people, civilians, to be as locked into the tournament as as he is. And I'm not saying you have to go that far, but let me also say this. I purposely planned my wedding uh, outside of tournament windows. I think you got to do that. I agree. Yeah. I mean, Taylor, yeah. who do you, were you a theater guy growing up? Said you hang out with theater. No, people? no, I'm telling you, I, I, this is a hundred percent true that, and we were making fun of the, the groom at this wedding because he's an ASU alum. And I'm like, yeah, March has never met anything to these ASU people. And they were freely admitting that at the wedding. They're like, yeah, we don't care about the month of March. I'm like, that's why you guys suck. That's why you guys will never have a good basketball program. That's why you guys will never have a good athletic program. That's why you think Bobby Hurley's the man, so on and so forth. I mean, we're, we're roasting them the entirety well, of this point. Because we're like, you guys like don't even understand this whole March thing at all. Yeah, well, like, I yeah, mean, that's, we why I'm, that's why I'm asking if you're a theater guy, because it seems like you hang out with theater people. And I'm not saying that yeah. in the sense of people that listen to our show. I'm talking about guys that were in the production of Oliver Twist in, in high school. You know, no, no, yeah, absolutely. Not. I, I was at a wedding too, believe it or not, on not and it's relevant to the show, though, relevant to the platform of the show, the Barn Chief wedding in Memphis. Yeah, that was on Friday, though. That was I on know. Friday, and that was going to be mean, the dude. end of my sentence right there. He didn't schedule it on, he didn't schedule it on the Saturday. So, very, very, uh, a lot of forethought right there. Good for him. Good wedding, good city, terrible airport. Leave that. that. <laughs> Here's what I'll say not to, not to belabor this point, but I know that two of my U of A fan uh, folks got married this weekend and they were both on Friday. The ASU people I know got married during the final four. If you want to know the difference between those two schools and their basketball programs, that right is it right there. I suppose, but I would just completely miss the three week window. I mean, I get, I get Fridays better. I get Fridays better. Fine. But I wouldn't even chance it, wouldn't even risk it, especially when they jacked up and updated all the schedules. Obviously, Final Four is usually always on a Saturday, but I wouldn't even I wouldn't even chance it. But that was your UCLA Gonzaga Final Four experience. I think the best part about sports, one of the best part about parts about sports is when a major play happens. I am such a sucker for the YouTube videos, the home videos of people going crazy in their homes, at bars, uh, in the stadium, whatever it is, and listening to the different calls. You had Adam Morrison on the Gonzaga radio call, which was fantastic. You had Jim Nance, who's one of the best to ever do it. You had some other local calls, but let me tell you where the shark and I were. And the shark dropped in, pleasantly surprised me. So he's on his way back from Memphis to D.C., had a layover in Chicago. And keep me honest here, you had uh, you basically either purposely missed the layover or had, really had no choice but to miss that layover because your flight was delayed, yada, yada, yada. So he comes into the city. We go to Declan's. I can't, I'm going to give it free pub. That's also a uh, pun right there for you guys, by the way. Free pub for Declan's pub. Uh, incredible place to watch a college basketball game, incredible place to watch any sporting event bar setup is perfect. Weren't too many people in there. The sound was on, which is a crucial, crucial element. Uh, Taylor, I know we fight all the time with bars just to get the game on the TV. I'm not even talking about the sound on it, but they had obviously the game on sound was on. And then of course that basketball game shark i know you were in your temple at that point for those couple hours i don't know if we've ever been uh, happier let me tell you something this might supplant either rival or supplants the experience that we had espn zone when we were in eighth grade the john lucas oklahoma state game against st joe's this might be this might have taken the mantle yeah i don't i don't know where to begin on this because i have a lot of different <clears throat> comments one first of all 
second time I've executed that move where I schedule a, a connecting flight in a city where one of my boys is and can kind of just drag your feet trying to get to that second flight. You miss it. And then the airline's like, all right, dude, we'll just get you on the next one. And then you say, you know what? Don't worry about the next one. Get me on this one much later. And then you get a free stop in that city. So if I do that one more time, I think it's got to be named after me at this point. Two, I pulled it off to an absolute T in Chicago. Beautiful spring Chicago day, like everything people are going on vacation for, right? Like people go to Chicago for that, get in the spring, go see a Cubs game, you know, uh, bop around town, whatever you want to call it. I do it. We get in there. We link up with Subi. I've never, I've never, this Declan's, you've talked about Declan's before. I could not even handcraft a better temple or cathedral or whatever religious sanctuary you want to use for a 30-year-old guy that just wants to sit in his chair with audio pumped in for the game, fart in his chair, and just hoot and holler at the bar, rooting for one team without a care in the world about what people are going to do to you. Have great service there. Maria, shout out to Maria. I mean, what what a performance. I mean, we want to talk about Sug shot. Maria working working the bar, you know, lining up the Diet Peps and Jamesons like it was, you know, she was out at the Boston Marathon handing out water. It was incredible. I really love this stay in soup. I'm leading with my final point here. The fact that I got to enjoy it with you, buddy. Wings and fries. We were sitting there. It was the best college basketball game I have honestly seen. And I'm saying it for me personally because I did not see the Villanova North Carolina game. Remember, I was out in the field serving the country while you guys were sitting on your couch. I didn't see that game. All right. So this one for me was probably the best I've seen. I'm not sure if I can say ever yet because I'm a little, I'm a little caught off guard, but just the back and forth, the legacy that was on the line for Gonzaga, the buzzer beater, the incredible shots hit by UCLA, the atmosphere. You know, I'm going to put it there. I'll do it. I'm going to put it as one of the best college basketball game I've seen. I don't think you're over-exaggerating. I think it's a good point distinction that you're making in terms of best game that you've seen. Because I will say that there are better games in the annals of college basketball history. There might even be a little bit better finishes because we've seen Chris Jenkins hit a buzzer beater to win the you've title. Seen. We've seen Lorenzo seen. Charles. Just remember you've seen. I didn't see. Right. No, I agree. I agree. I, and I, And I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Um, but in Maria also, yes, she should be on the first team, uh, all tournament team. Yes. Johnny Juzang was fantastic. Yes. The two Baylor guys. Yes. The two Gonzaga guys, Maria should be on there too. Just shoveling diet, uh, Jack and diets at us all night, but it was the perfect viewing experience. And I mean, the game itself, we, nobody cares about our personal viewing experience, but the game itself was just marvelous, a marvelous display of high level basketball. Two great coaches. Shout out to Mick Cronin. He he put together a game plan and executed it as flawlessly as you really could. And then, of course, we have the the element of Johnny Juzang's shot, which is now going to go down in history alongside uh, you know the the Marcus Page shot against Villanova and some other shots where you're like uh, the the Malik Monk shot against North Carolina in the Elite Eight. Great shots, great efforts that are largely gonna, not going to be remembered. And then because they were overshadowed by a Jalen Sugg shot, which when it left his hand, I got to be, I got to tell you, I was like, I think this is money. Like Jalen, and that, that was pure. That The net barely moved off the bank. And like I said, the calls from everyone, it was just uh, the perfect basketball game. But I think we do need to spend a little time on UCLA because everyone pretty much wrote them off. Even in our episode last week, Taylor, we had said that they were going to get bundled and they showed up, not only competed, but they forced overtime game probably should have gone to double overtime. And not it's one thing to ride a hot streak, which is what Oregon state did. And then they kind of got outclassed by Houston, UCLA. I think UCLA, and this might be going too far. I think UCLA would have given Baylor a tougher, tougher matchup just because of how hot they were. And because of the confidence that they were playing with, I don't know what would have happened in double overtime against Gonzaga, but the fact that they gave him their toughest test of the season speaks volumes of what Cronin did and what he's going to do in the future. Yeah, I think UCLA, I, I know this is kind of a goofy take considering they didn't even make the final, but they have been may have been the most impressive team of this tournament, just given the unexpected nature of where they came from. We knew that Baylor and Gonzaga were the two best teams in the country, uh, but we didn't realize that 
UCLA seemingly would have been able to hang with both of them. Uh, nobody helped their stock more in the country, both from a draft perspective or whatever he decides to do, than Johnny Juzang. That guy went from a guy that only we knew about to a guy that literally everybody knew about. And people were tweeting about yesterday, like, give me more Juzang. I don't want to see this Gonzaga team. Give me more Juzang. And you, nobody would have expected that 10 days ago. Um you know, let alone a month ago or anything like that. So I, I think there's a really legitimate argument to say that UCLA was the most impressive team of this tournament. And, um, you know, especially because they had to play in that first four game, maybe they just, maybe they were just one extra game too tired to maybe stretch it out at the end. And they even did stretch it out at the end. Uh, so I, I think there's a legit argument to that. I don't think it's that crazy to, to say that UCLA probably made more waves than anybody else throughout this tournament. Shark, what was your biggest takeaway from that final four game? Because like you had said, it's one of the greatest games that our generation are, are has seen in quite some time. Yeah, obviously I was super impressed with UCLA. Um, I, I really do think that if they, I, I, Gonzaga just UCLA was hitting so many shots that were just so preposterous and hanging around and that Gonzaga was very impressive and able to hold them off. So I I thought that the UCLA played as perfect as they possibly could and they still lost. So I think the ultimate result was the right thing. Uh, You know, that shot was to send it to if you missed that shot, we're going to another overtime. And I think Gonzaga was still going to be in pretty, pretty much control of that game at that point. Uh, because everything that UCLA was throwing up, I mean, even Tiger Campbell was phenomenal too with some of the shots that he was getting to fall down. But it was really a great run for UCLA. It's kind of weird um, to see it from them because they are a blue blood program. <laughs> I think we have them ranked within our top five. I forget what number we had them at, but it would be kind of cooler to see that done by a team that didn't have just tremendous basketball history. But you, you can't really hate on their performance. And I'm happy for Mick Cronin because when he was at Cincinnati, the reputation for his teams were always that he could never score. They would always be highly seeded. They would lose. They lost to muscle milk when he was a two seed a few years ago, created muscle milk pretty much at Nevada. And then Nevada, you know, he goes on to play at our uh, coach at Arkansas. So Mick Cronin was always kind of snake bit in the tournament and he was finally able to get a good run. And his message at the end of it, when he was given his press conference was, Hey, you know, we're, we're back at this point. This is, this is who we're going to be. We're going to be perennially be in the conversation, which probably sucks for you Arizona, Arizona fans, but Good, good for a an elite program. No, no I, 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 I love it. I love it, man. I mean, yeah, great. UCLA, the college basketball landscape is so much better that every sport has certain teams where they have to be great and the sport's better, right? I, you look at the NFL, I think the Cowboys, even the football team, when those two historical historic franchises are great, the sport is better. College basketball, Indiana needs to get back on top. UCLA needs to be back on top. These blue blood programs need to continue to be great for, I mean, us lifers, we're going to watch college basketball no matter what, but the tournament is better when the Hoosiers and the well, Bruins push, and some of these other guys are, are great. Let me push back on the UCLA thing. Cause does UCLA have a national following? I mean, they don't really, they're not known for a very passionate fan base or anything like that. So I, I don't necessarily think that they, they need to be good for college basketball to be good. Uh, so, you know, I, I would push back a little bit on that. They're not the Cowboys. You don't have some random guy living down your street, no matter where in the country you're at, saying I'm a, I'm a Cowboy fan or I'm also a UCLA fan. Well, but, I, think, I think older folks on the West Coast, there's definitely a following with them because if you look at the two good basketball schools in the Pac-12 over the last 30 years, right, it's Arizona and UCLA. Uh, Oregon has been, as of late, the last five, 10 years, whatever. Um, but – in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s, it was Arizona, UCLA. So you get people our parents' age uh, out here uh, in the West that are that know UCLA and are you know not necessarily followers of UCLA, but they they are a, a brand at least out here. Now, I will agree with you that I think UCLA fans think that they're a much bigger brand nationally than they really are. I think they think it. I think they'd like to harken back, like you know, the John Wooden days, they're almost like Nebraska football fans where they're like, yeah, you know, Nebraska, a national power. And it's like, you mean a national power 40 years ago? Yes. A national power now? Not so uh, much, but I think they went to two straight yeah. final fours, like 15 yeah, years ago, though. Three. three, three straight final fours. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you're proving my point even more though. I mean, I wouldn't say that they've been, they've been dead probably the past 10 years. 
but yeah, I mean, sure. it's not like recent recent memory. Not really. In my it, opinion, not even, is like not even ten years, years man. Like the team that they had with Lonzo Ball, that was a, they were a two seed in the bottom right bracket that should have went to the Final Four that I picked to go to the finals. <laughs> I mean, that, that they're they're been good for a long time, so I don't necessarily think that this is an awakening for you know some bunch of old guys out in L.A. or wherever they're at that believe UCLA blue. Um, it was cool to see him go on a run. I just wish it was someone that hasn't had so much success throughout. Well, the I, I kind of think that's what makes it more. What makes it more notable is that they do have uh, they it, it is kind of a, you know, we, let's take Texas football maybe as an example. We always hear about their how they're back and they're back and they're back and they're back and they're back, but they're never back. Right. UCLA at least has fallen a little bit and is now like back like actually back, like went to a final four back, not just like went to the holiday bowl back one year. And so that's not, this isn't back though. Like when you've been pretty damn good within the past 10 years and you're making final fours like a decade ago, you you never left. All right. You're still somewhat relevant at that point. Let's take, they've been, they've been pedestrian though. Like they've been pretty pedestrian is what I would say. I mean, their basketball standards, you don't think so. They should be competing for final fours, elite eights every single year. They fired two coaches in the in that time period, so you can't be like really good, but also having fi- you know firing time two coaches. Period? In the last I mean, twelve years, they fired Hall- Halland and they fired Alford. Alford. Well, Halland yeah. was the coach like twenty years ago, man. How long are you going to make this range? How Halland was the coach thirteen <laughs> years ago when they went to the Final Four in two thousand eight. Wow, that's a long ass time ago. No, it's and, not. No, it's and, not. That was our freshman they, year of college. Okay, so thirteen years ago, they went to the Final Four three straight, two straight years. And you're talking so, like they went and, you know, set up shop on an island and didn't do anything for a while. I'm saying, I mean, but they, 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 they're UCLA standards, yeah. They've been pedestrian. There aren't that many other colleges that have fired two coaches that are considered "quote unquote" good. So I would now, say, I would say that. Not as, go ahead. Sorry. I would say that they have fallen off, and that going to a Final Four for a program like UCLA is a little bit more being back, quote unquote, than say like South Carolina going to the Final Four. Because we knew South Carolina going to the Final Four was a one-off situation. UCLA going to the Final Four is probably a little more than a one-off situation, given the coach that they have now, who has previous not tournament success, but tournament experience. The fact that they have the probably the best recruiting ground in the whole country to build off of and the fact that you know there are people now talking about them and in a city like la that's important because it's not exactly the best college town in the world but any type of hype that this school gets it's going to relay into a lot more success than say like yeah like like a a one-off like a one-off final four well yeah it's cooler it's a cooler if it's one of the one-off final fours south carolina was a good example if you were to take another 11 seed from a power five conference this year like when syracuse does it it it, i would say that's a little bit cooler than when ucla does it because ucla has accomplished a lot more than syracuse over this time period that we're talking about syracuse back when they go on their run you know five or six years ago whenever that was when they were an 11 seed or if they were to do it this year it would have been better if a random team like colorado or oklahoma that or you know some random Lower Rutgers was a 10 seed this year. If you just take one of those, Maryland, you know, if they went on that run, that would have been a little bit better, in my opinion, than UCLA, who's got a storied history that has been successful within the past 20 years on multiple occasions and also happens to have the most titles in the history of the sport. Well, it's all it's all fans don't really care. And the fans still don't really care. So they don't need to be back for us to you know care about them again. I think naturally, but I think you're looking at us like lifers. I think. The general public, that's a name brand university that they want to see in the final four. I think generally speaking, people would rather UCLA and Indiana in the final four as opposed to an Oral Roberts or South Carolina or Loyola Chicago. I I definitely think so, man. People people want to see those upsets. People want to see those upsets in like the Elite Eight. Everyone always says this. They'd rather see the cream rise to the top. Um, And they want the name brands in the final four. And that's what that's what essentially we got here this final four even with houston i mean they're a basketball school i make this case all the time you're either a basketball or football school and baylor might be transitioning i'm not sure i still think that they're uh, a a football school just because of their history are are they a basketball school now baylor definitely yeah no doubt in my mind i i and this is a question i want to throw out if we're pivoting to a new topic here but what is more impressive to you mark few and what he's done with gonzaga or scott drew with baylor Scott Drew, Scott Drew. 
Dan Monson, Dan, Dan Monson built was the first elite eight. Before. Yeah, he went on. Yeah, he went on a run with them. But like to make Gonzaga into you know a consistent top five team, great recruiting classes to go to some you know Jesuit school in the middle of nowhere in Washington. I think that's pretty impressive. But no, I don't know. It is. It's it is it impressive. Is. But like Scott Drew took over probably the worst situation in the history of college basketball to take over for a coach. Mark Few took over for a coach that got hired and went to Minnesota coming off an elite eight run and a couple tournament run, a couple tournament uh, births even before that. So it wasn't like he was, he was already taking like the best program in the West coast conference over like Baylor literally had a player go to jail, one get murdered and Dave bliss get fired. Then Dave bliss blames all of the recruiting violations on the kid that got murdered and then Scott Drew steps in. Like that's an unprecedented situation to step into. I, I because we were so young. I mean, we were only thirteen years old when that all transpired. I think we knew that this was a bad situation, but we didn't look at coaches coming into different programs and what they have to deal with to take over. We didn't necessarily have a a, a real appreciation for what it means to recruit, what it means to have the, the turn a program around. Really, we just sort of see it happening. Uh, but looking back on it, knowing what we know now, having a lot more life experience, I guess, what Scott Drew had to take over was nothing short of remarkable. And he's been to a couple of lead eights. This was finally the year that he broke through in the final four and he, he ho- hoists the trophy. And I think this is a, a this is another uh, lesson that people need to learn. And Shark, it goes back to your point about why we're sort of people might be uh, over criticizing Gonzaga and they're not getting a fair shake. I'd agree with that, but someone needs to get criticized and it might just be the national pundits that over, I won't even say overhype them, but hype them ad nauseum. We kept seeing Gonzaga versus the field. Sometimes it was a little Gonzaga and Baylor versus the field. There was a point where it was Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan versus the field, but for the most part, it was always Gonzaga versus the field. I also saw a ton of stuff saying, these guys are creeping into blue blood territory. Now you might call me out and say, where did you see that? That's absurd because yes, I agree. It is absurd. These guys don't have the resume, the, the, the historical resume to even swing with the likes of Carolina, Duke, Kansas, real blue bloods. Uh, they've only been to two final fours. They're Owen two in national title games, no titles. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's not, a, that's not a blue blood type of conversation. Mark few has done a fantastic job and he probably will break through, but there is a point. I mean, I, I don't think it's unjustified for people to say, Hey man, until you win the big one, until you win a national title against these tough big 12 ACC opponents, Carolina and Baylor, people are going to have this, this, this question and right or wrong, unfair, fair, it's going to persist. Uh, and so, if we look at what Mark few has done, it's incredible, but Scott drew not only took over a worse situation in a tougher conference, uh, he was able to capitalize on his only final four and win a title. No, I, I'm with you. And I'm my, again, to clarify my tweet and what I was trying to say in that thing was these smug pundits that just act like anytime someone says, well, would Gonzaga be this good if they played a tough calendar, a tough schedule every single year? And then for them just go automatically react and say they're one of the best teams in the history of college basketball. It's just, no, they're not. I mean, you have to, you can't st- compare them fairly to what IU did when whatever that was, 86, whatever it was, because they're playing a, in a whole different ball game. You can compare them to Memphis. You know, when Memphis went on their run in 08, I mean, I think that's a fair comparison because, you know, they're, but even then, I mean, Memphis is playing still a little bit of a tougher schedule. And, yeah, they lost in the finals, too. So I, I, I think it, it, it's hard to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was 76 was that Indiana school. That's even how long it what was. I, ago. What did I say? 86. 86, I, think, yeah. I do think they won the, I do think they won the national yeah. championship in 86 anyway. But anyway, they're almost like – I'd have to go back and look at this. But they're almost like – remember how highly ranked Western Kentucky was in our rankings? And we were all like, well, that's fucking crazy, right? We've but taken they, heat for that. Right, but if you go back, but if you go back and look at everything that like a team like Western Kentucky did in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, it's 
almost similar to what Gonzaga is doing now, went to at least one Final Four, I think, in there. Now, do I think Gonzaga is a better program now than Western Kentucky was then? Yes, of course I do. I, I think there's a legitimate argument that they're the best. Right now, today, they're the best-run college basketball program in the country. There's a legitimate argument for that. Does that mean they're the best college basketball program of all time? No. I think it just means that right now, they're going to continue to be probably the most consistent team in the country and there's arguments for the why, you know, the conference that they're in, whatever. But if you look at this year, look at all these teams that we consider to be consistent college basketball teams. The Dukes, the North Carolinas, the Kentuckys, all that. They all missed the tournament this year. Indiana. Gonzaga did not. Gonzaga is continually having or going to have the same success going forward. Would, would they have that success in another conference? I don't know. But now the fact that they're bringing in NBA guys every year, they've been doing this the whole time with pretty much without NBA players, right? And now they've got... Like this year, Jalen Suggs will be the number two pick in the draft. They just got another top 10 recruit for next year. So there's an argument to say, it's, it's kind of funny to say that they are arguably the best run college basketball program in the country while also not being considered the best college basketball program in the country. It's almost like a, it's almost like a it's arguments against it. Yeah. 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 Right. Exactly. No. So, it, and I would also say this, if you put them and this is always the hypothetical people love to do, if you put them in another conference, how would they fare? Be honest with you. I think they'd win almost every other major conference still like they did with the West coast conference, but what made them so compelling this year and why everyone thought they were so dominant, why everyone said Gonzaga versus the field is because they were undefeated. I don't think you can go undefeated in a major conference. And I mean, you look at a team like Kentucky 2015, they did that and then they got tripped up in the final four. It is incredibly difficult to go undefeated. And I do think that they carried a little bit of baggage into Monday night. I think they had the pressure of going undefeated. I think they were emotionally and exhausted from the UCLA game. And then if we look on the other side, Baylor, look, a lot of people were saying, where does Gonzaga rank all time? Why aren't we asking that about this Baylor team? They only lost two games. Do they dominated this tournament as well. Everyone's looking back at the Final Four. With the exception of the Villanova game, Baylor didn't necessarily play a very close game at all in this entire tournament, and they embarrassed what who a lot of people thought the greatest team in the country was. So, Shark, let me ask you this. Where does this Baylor team uh, rank in terms of of let's say recent history, because I don't know if they're, they're going to go down in, as some of the greatest of all time, but recently, man, I'd put them up against a lot of teams. Put me on the spot a little bit right here because I didn't think about that, but I would say that the Villanova team that beat Gonzaga in the finals kind of just walked right through everyone. That was a nasty team. Was that a good team? Was that no, the no, team they, that was they beat, they beat Carolina and, and uh, Michigan? Was it Michigan? I thought they beat Gonzaga. Carolina beat Gonzaga. Oh, Carolina beat Gonzaga. Whoever, so the Villanova team that wasn't against North Carolina was nasty, right? Michigan, DiVincenzo, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. It. Yes, yes. Um, uh, but outside of that, I mean, the, the great teams I can re recall at least would be the Florida ones where, you, you know, going back to back will, will be extremely difficult to do for anyone, but that would be the first one that jumps to my mind. Oh, nine, North Carolina with like seven NBA players yeah. was pretty good. Uh, good if, squad. We, if we want to go even further back, like that 01 Duke team that beat that 01 Arizona team that had literally 13 or 14 combined NBA players in that game. I know that NBA players doesn't necessarily mean anything, but the fact that there was that much talent on those teams, that would be 20, comparable. 2012 Kentucky shouldn't go overlooked just because of Anthony Davis as well, I would say. And the, but those, you know, ah, that, that kind of goes almost against my argument. It's hard to look at that team because we only really got to see those players for like 30 total games. It, 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 I, and maybe that's just me not being able to come up with an answer, but it's hard to put how good that team was in context because we only got to see them for literally 32 or 36, however many games, at least we might, at least we've been able to see some of these Baylor guys before and we'll see them next year too. Some of them. So that might give us a little better answer. And, and it's hard to answer that the day after the tournament without, because we are kind of prisoners of the moment because last night they would have beat how they played Holy last shit, night. Man. They would have beat yeah. literally anybody, but that's not Holy. how they would have played every single game. And they ever. did it. They didn't play every game like that. I, I mean, I, I was a Baylor backer the whole time. And, you know, I remember watching that Villanova game in the Sweet 16, and it was like, 
they they were terrible. And I'm thinking in my head, I had a hot take that I couldn't tweet at the time because I was in Lent, but I was thinking Davion Mitchell and Macy Oteague and Jared Butler, they all chew gum while they're playing. They can't focus on, you know, hitting shots. I thought that was a good take. And then last night they just go on a blitzkrieg in the first three minutes and they're all chewing gum like they're in an advertisement or something. So that was a bad take. Good thing I didn't have Twitter for that period. Um, but I'll push back on their dominant run just because I will say I don't think they really had to beat a lot of teams to get there. I mean, they played Wisconsin in the second round. Wisconsin never beat a good team in their life this year. Then they played a shorthanded Villanova. Uh, and then they played Arkansas, who Arkansas, yeah, you made the Elite Eight, brother, but you should have lost Oral Roberts. You should have lost to Texas Tech. Hell, you should have lost to Colgate as well. They should have lost all those games. And every single time they just survived in advance because they pressed guys and got offensive rebounds. I don't think Musselman's a good coach. That's kind of where I'm at on that. But anyways, then they go on, they play Houston. Houston, same sort of thing. Hasn't really beaten a lot of good teams this year either. So Baylor's real first test, in my opinion, was the other best team in the country. They didn't have to match up against Ohio State. They didn't have to match up against a... Illinois or anyone like that in order to get to the, to the final God, But who, I mean, even if they would have played those teams, I don't think it would have mattered. If they, I, mean, I think if they played Ohio state the, when they were playing the way they were playing against Villanova, I'm not sure they would have been able to do that. And again, you got to get there. So we're doing a million. Yeah. Different yeah. I mean, I would not to belabor that point too much, but Ohio state did lose 10 games this year, including the one in the tournament. So it's not like they were this end all be all like phenomenal team. Now, obviously, they could have taken him down. That's that's totally fine to say. But what what I really liked about Baylor over the course of the tournament, except for that Villanova game, and that's you know a good point, is that they pretty much punched every team that they were playing in the tournament in the mouth and said "fucking deal with it," and no one could. You know, I mean, that's exactly what they did last night. They came out swinging, and not just like in that in that kind of like uh, what's the way to put it. We use that phrase a lot. We overuse the term "came out swinging." Last night, they literally uppercut Gonzaga right out of the gate and Gonzaga didn't know how to deal with that at all. Um, I will say before moving on, how about Villanova? Did you guys see that nugget this week that pretty much Villanova only loses to the winner of the tournament every single year, unless they win the NCAA tournament. I suppose I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. It was the only outlier because they lost to Gonzaga when Gonzaga made the title game, right? Like eight of their 10 tournament losses over the last 12 years was to the winner. And then they won it the other t- two of those other years. Wow. It's like that is a hell of a nugget. ridiculous. So, um, but yeah, I don't think anyone in the country would have beat Baylor. would have been tough, you know, to go back to your original question here to find anyone who would have beat them over the last, I don't know, 10 years, given how they played specifically last night. Another time, yeah. another era, two hours before that, four hours later, whatever, who knows. But last night, specifically during that game, would have been tough to find anybody to beat them. And again, this is all hypotheticals, but I'll tell you what. Almost every fan base has a injury that they say, had this person not gotten injured, and it sucks because there always seems to be some inopportune injury right around March and tournament time. Shark, you got Niang's broken foot, right? Uh, and then Still dealing with it. I know you are Carolina fans still sad about Kendall Marshall's wrist injury or hand injury, whatever it is. I will say though, if you're a Nova fan, if you have a healthy Colin Gillespie and that game was being played, we may be looking at Nova with another final four. Man, I, I, I think I'd entertain that because uh, a lot of fans have gripes and you, you can always say, woe is me. And again, Baylor could only play the schedule that they played. And they, they might have still won with Colin Gillespie on the court, but it is crazy how different that Villanova team looked without their floor general. And I bet Gillespie comes back. But, I mean, to your point about Baylor coming out and uppercutting teams, you nailed it, Taylor. And it's not the – for me personally, I don't look at made shots because they were hot, obviously. Jared Butler got off to a great start. Teague was a zone buster. Fucking Alex Alex Flagler, is that his name? The guy the guy off the – Adam Flagler? Guy off the bench was was shooting the hell off the ball. But that's not necessarily what I look at because sometimes they a team can go cold. Now, Baylor obviously didn't, but after a scorching start, a timeout, maybe they get back to the level at you know, a normal level. What I look at is effort plays, and I look at second-chance opportunities, and Mark Vital was dominating down low. He ate Drew Timmy up and every other uh, a big man on Gonzaga – on the glass. And that is when I knew when I saw Mark vital have like four offensive rebounds, not just total rebounds four offensive rebounds with about 10 minutes to go in the first half. I was like, Gonzaga's not built for these guys. 
Gonzaga isn't isn't as tough or strong as what Baylor's, and they're certainly not as athletic. Even Mark Few said in the post game press conference, it was kind of funny. It was like our guards just aren't as athletic as as the Baylor guys, and it's quite obvious. But when I was seeing, and it was Mark Vital, and I tweeted this, I I can't remember a guy playing as flawlessly in his role. Maybe Grayson Allen as a guy off the bench, spark plug for Duke, who a lot of people will contend got him that national title against Wisconsin. But Mark Vital was, I'm not even going to say it. He was very important. I'm not going to use the other uh, synonym. He was incredibly important. And when he was cleaning up the glass, that's kind of when I knew, all right, Gonzaga's in some trouble because they don't have, they're not going to quote unquote out tough the Bears. And Shark, I know you know Vital's our guy. Yeah, no, I, I kind of like that. I haven't thought about the, the kind of the pantheon of role players in college basketball that just know exactly what they're supposed to do, whether it's rebounds, getting charges, um, you know, being pests here and there, playing defense specifically. Um, I, I think that's a good point, and I'd, I'd like to think about that a little bit more. But, yes, he certainly lives up to his surname. Is that what it is, right? Surname? Yeah. He is the classic college basketball player. I mean, honestly, I mean, kind of like what Subi is saying, a 6'5", 250-pound guard is what they list him at, even though he played center for most of the game last night, or down low. I don't even know if we want to give him a position. It was funny because most of the Gonzaga fans and analysts that I talked to and listened to over the the days or week leading up to the final the finals and the final four was that they didn't think that they had enough size via height perhaps to deal with a team like Baylor. I don't think they were worried about the size via girth to deal with Baylor, but that's exactly what they had to deal with, with Mark Vidal. Big boy grilling on the roof. I'd like to really thank Baylor though, because guys like Alabama, especially Illinois, who I'm still not over kind of made me look like an idiot. And I do that to myself and I take accountability. It was a stupid pick to take Kansas to the Final Four. I don't think it was a stupid pick to take Bama and Illinois. They really disappointed me. But Baylor, on the other hand, I chose Baylor as our as my national title winner. Shark, I know you did as well. A couple weeks ago, when this Gonzaga-Baylor game was an inevitable clash, I said, I cannot wait for Mark Vital to eat Drew Timmy's lunch, and he doesn't do the the stash celebration. By my count, there was only one Drew Timmy stash celebration, and he did it down 15. And I was like, hey, man, I'm not going to shit on you. You're a hell of a player. If he comes back, he should. He's probably going to be National Player of the Year next year. But I was right on Baylor, and I was right on Vital in the front court. Really just have some self-awareness, man. You're down 15, you're getting run out the gym and you're doing your mustache thing. Um, you know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't like him. Well, since you w- went ahead and patted yourself on the back first, I'll, I'll give myself a small pat on the back then as well, because on last week's episode, I said the only reason Baylor was going to win the national championship game is if Suggs got in foul trouble and someone like Flagler hit five threes. Now, Flagler hit four threes, but Suggs did get into foul trouble in the first half. They were already down like 11 to two or 16 to four or something like that. But him going out for like eight minutes really pushed it to a, uh, a separation that they couldn't make up. Now I'm only going to give myself a half pat on the back because it really wouldn't have mattered if Suggs would have gotten in foul trouble or not last night. Baylor was going to win just given how I think played. it did. I think it did kind of matter because to fuse credit, he, he brought him back in the game in the first half, right? Like he didn't just bench yeah. him for the mm-hmm. entire thing and they got it down to 10 right before half. They had the momentum going into the half. I hate when coaches, when automatically one of your players gets two fouls, you just, it's like they are following a, a checklist it's where it's like, you got to move them to the bench, right? It drives me crazy. Leonard, commandments, yeah. Leonard Hamilton, I'm looking at you, brother. I'm still not over that game for against Michigan and that sweet 16 matchup when you sat down Raekwon Gray and MJ Walker in the first half and you just got ran out. I mean, you, you need to try to win these games. Okay. I mean, he, and the few made a good tactical decision. It was risky. Uh, I got too much spit in my mouth right now, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I like the move by few. I think there were three real important plays in this game that were in the second half that happened with Baylor uh, after they got it down to 10. Um, Gonzaga played zone on only 20 possessions the entire year this year. And they probably played it on 20 possessions last night. But Jared Butler came out in the second half, hit two deep threes pretty much right away and said, fuck your zone. 
And so they had to get out of the zone literally right away. And then with about 12 or 13 minutes left, maybe a little less than that, I think Kisper had come down and hit a three. Maybe it was a little less than this. Kisper come down and hit a three. And I texted Subi and I said, that's a big three. And he said, game's not over. Next possession, Flagler knocks down a three and pretty much says, nah, like, you're not, you guys aren't getting any closer. I think those were all huge plays in the game, but I really love that Jared Butler pretty much to start the second half because Gonzaga started to dabble with a two, three zone. And then they also have played a one, three, one zone, which I think that as I tried to do this research on that, I think they'd only played four possessions of one, three, one zone the entire season leading up to this national championship game. So, and they, they attempted to play that at the end of the second half and they attempted to play it a little bit at the start of the first half. And they also shifted to a two, three zone at the, at the start of the second half too. But Butler just came down, hit two threes, pretty much put, you know, in my, in the best basketball way, went two fingers up to, to the Gonzaga and said, fuck your zone. If you're going to play zone, we're just going to shoot you right out of it. And that's what he did right away. I think you're missing one more play as well. And you may have referenced it because Flagler did hit it the three, but I think the score was around 11 or 11 or so. And then Baylor had hit a bucket. Gonzaga was coming back down and Mark Vital just swatted the shit out of, I forget who, but he, he made a great defensive play, swatted the ball, Baylor out in transition, Flagler, Flagler hits a three, boom, blink of an eye, it's back to 17. And that was around the 16 or maybe 14 minute mark. And I think that's when people were like, game over. You can't come back from this with this short amount of time. So again, another fantastic play from Mark Vital. So I will say this, and th- I know that we are college basketball fans to a T or, you know, to the death of us, I should say. And I saw a lot of pushback on the entertainment value of this game last night. And some people would say, oh, it's a blowout. Can say I got their ass kicked, whatever. But I think that they're not uh, putting enough of a, of the, explosive factor that Gonzaga has into it, right? Like Gonzaga is like how we thought of them this year was almost like Tiger Woods four back because it's the masters this week, right? Tiger Woods going four back heading into the back nine at Augusta, right? It's like this shouldn't happen, but if anyone or if any team could do it, like this would be the team to be able to come back from 13 down, 16 down, whatever in the second half. So I think we're undervalued. I mean, they've only proved they could do that against BYU. And BYU stinks. All right. I mean, they, they hadn't done that against really anyone else all year. They just jumped out on teams in the tournament. I mean, they uh, are the top scoring team in the country, though. So there's at least a little bit of that factor. To against say, okay. I mean, they scored like 88 against West Virginia. They scored like 83 West, against Kansas. West Virginia sucks. Okay. <laughs> they, were the, they were the number 10 team in the country when that happened. Yeah. Uh, who voted for that? It was a bad vote. They, then they, scored like nine, then they scored like 91 against Iowa. Whatever. I'm saying if they also was, stuck. I mean, look at how those teams did in the tournament. Everyone's like, look at you, you. They beat Virginia. They beat West Virginia. They beat Iowa. All those teams sucked in the tournament. But there's no other team that you would have been able to pick out in this tournament that would have been able to make that comeback any, any more than Gonzaga would have been able to because they had already lost anyway. So if there was going to be one team that was going to be able to do it, I'm not saying they were going to do it, obviously, because they didn't. But if there was one team that was going to be able to do it, it would have been Gonzaga. So I think there's a little bit more of the entertainment factor. And for us as college basketball fans, just to watch Baylor play at that high of a level, no matter what the score was, whether they won by two or by 20, I think was entertaining enough for me. Yep. All right. Let's go ahead and uh, finish it up. Actually, Shark, real quick. I'm going to ISO you for five minutes. You got some beef with Leonard Hamilton. Congratulations to Baylor, by the way. What a remarkable season for them. We had a bet, and I get that. But Shark also took Florida State to the Final Four, despite the fact that he bet me that they weren't going to make the Elite Eight. This isn't your five minutes. I get my five (laughs) minutes. Win something, you can begin your five minutes. Soup, the first time I did it was like 15 minutes, right, when I won the bet, or was it 10 minutes? It was a long time, so I'm glad I just got <laughs> You're five. just going increments of five. Yeah, well, I'm glad we're going to get five. The last time I did it, I began with a um, with a saying, and I'll do it again here. I'm going to ask you to splice this at some point in the episode whenever you get a chance. The fog's just lifting. Throw off your bowline. Throw off your stern. You head out to South Channel, past Rocky Neck, 10-pound island. Past Niles Pond, where I skated as a kid. Blow your air horn and throw a wave to the lighthouse keeper's kid on Thatcher Island. Then the birds show up, black backs, herring gulls, big dump ducks and green-legged coots. The sun hit you, head north up to 12, steaming now. The guys are busy, you're in charge. You know what? You're a goddamn swordboat captain. Is there anything better in the world? 
that was a saying uh, by George Clooney in the film, The Perfect Storm. Whenever I win these bets, I like to lead off with that to kind of just set the tempo. And last time, as I went through the 15 minutes I, I had won, I had earned, I spent a lot of it just going through a variety of my lists that I have, you know, top five movies, top five TV shows, just you know, putting my thoughts out there. This time, I don't really want to do that. Uh, instead, I'm going to take this moment to kind of talk about how I got here and why I have these five minutes that are trickling away. Earlier this year, Taylor and I, my co-host of this show, actually, I would, wouldn't even say co-host, co-role player, Sub is the host. We made a bet about Leonard Hamilton and whether or not he would meet the, make the Elite Eight. Uh, I said that he would not. Taylor said that he would. I did pick Leonard Hamilton to go to the Final Four. Uh, that didn't work out, but Leonard did not make it to the Elite Eight, so that's why we're talking here. Um, relevantly, there's a few other victories that I had over Taylor this year. It started in the regular season. We had a gambling contest. If you recall, I was 75% on my weekday games this year, picked more winners than Taylor. So I dominated the regular season. I dominated specific Florida state who he crowned as his team throughout the year. And then we did a bracket. I run this bracket online and I beat him there as well. I also did an auction pool on the side. He wasn't in that, but I'm sure if he wasn't that, I would have beat him there as well. So it was pretty much a clean sweep, dominating performance. Anytime he says something profound on this show, just remember that the shark got him in every single contest that we had. Um, and when I look at our bracket, uh, by the way, I finished six, two straight top 10 finishes for me as we're really grounded out uh, 100 person bracket for the most part, you know, really stacking some victories. Um, you know, I'm looking at my clock here, gone through about, a minute to two minutes. And you might have said like one word about Leonard Hamilton. Well, I, I spoke, but please get out of my window here. My five minute window. This is mine. Leonard Hamilton. Um, look, man, I mean, it's, you seem to be successful recruiting there. I get that you want to get people to play so they don't transfer, but I mean, you totally screwed me over. If you had won that came against Michigan, which you should have won, I would have won that bracket. So I'm never going to forgive you. Uh, but I will forgive you if that makes any sense. And what I want to do with my final time here is, Sue, I'm going to ask you to splice something in. And I want you just to play a certain per portion of this. I want you to cut it at the crucial part. There's a song that is really just aptly with me right now. Kiss Me, I'm Shitfaced by the Dropkick Murphys in celebration of a dominant year by the shark. Don't play the final part. Play the build-up parts. And I leave the theater goers with that tune. Goodbye. What are the build-up parts? <laughs> I mean, it's I a great song. A, yeah, well, I just don't want to get to the part where he's like, well, fuck it. Who am I kidding? I'm a pitiful sight. And I ain't all that bright. I just want you to play the cool parts when he's bragging about himself. Okay. I see. All right. Nobody, nobody's on your shit list. Yeah. Nobody's ever celebrated a one game victory in our betting prop pool where the where, we, is this like, are we back on the show now? Or is he allowed to, when did we ever, that? when did we ever leave? Why, well, why are we kind of, why are we cutting me, this out? He was asking me what are we going to splice in? I told him what's, what's the lead up parts. So I was giving him clarification. I can bench press a car. I'm an ex football star with degrees from both Harvard and Yale. Girls just can't keep up, I'm a real love machine I've had far better sex while in jail I design the sales tower, I make two grand an hour I cook the world's best duck flambe I'll take the pick of the litter, girls jockey for me Nobody's ever celebrated a one game victory in a pool of betting where he didn't show up for five of the shows to make bets and a game that got delayed by two weeks where nobody could even put the bet in that was listening anyway than shark. So shark also wins the award over me this year for, uh, for most self-serving rants on the show. So congratulations on that as well. Not going to dispute that point. <laughs> All right, fellas, let's go ahead and wrap this uh, show up with some hugs. Taylor, I'll kick it to you first. Any hugs today? So I'm going to go with two 
First one is going to be to Roy Williams, because I don't think we've discussed that very much here. Uh, and actually to Hubert Davis as well. I'm not sure if Hubert Davis is necessarily the best hire for North Carolina, which is a whole nother discussion we'll get into at another time. But I do always think it's cool when an alumni, an alumnus gets a job at their own school, especially at a program like North Carolina. Um, so hug to Hubert Davis, hug to Roy Williams on a great career. My second hug is to both of you, Shark, as my co-role player. Appreciate all of your uh, knowledge and ability this year. Let's put it that. Thanks for teaching me a few things this year, I guess I should say. But really, my main hug is to Subi. Subi, you've really, uh, I mean, nobody could have put more effort into this show than you have this year. You are on Twitter 24-7 when you're not editing or promoting the program. The amount of guests that you've gotten this year multiple sec players of the year national uh basketball pundits and analysts so big hug to you thanks for all that you do you are the point god of theater and college hoops you're making a brown man blush i really appreciate that and you guys are not uh co-role players you're my co-host as well if we're getting real soft and mushy here can't do it without you guys as well so seriously Thank you so much for your availability. Uh, this is one thing, Taylor, that we have beaten the shark in, and that's hugs. Let's see if he can pull an upset here, uh, an Oral Roberts, if you will, to see if he's got any hugs for us to end the season. I'm hoping you're going to hug our followers because we've been growing a little bit. Sue, I was going to leave that for you because you're a big brain guy over there. You can see the field. All right. I'm going to leave that hug to you to do that. All right. But followers, guys that have engaged with us on Twitter, I'm hugging you too, by the way. I want to throw a hug to the Barn Chief for hosting us on his uh, on the Barn Burner Network. Uh, phenomenal wedding. A wet, the wedding band that they had there, let me tell you something, better than better than the wedding singer, all right, at, at its at its prime. One of the best bands I've ever seen. Uh, they should go on tour in Memphis. So that was a that was a great time, great wedding, great, great couple, Phenopla. Uh, and then I'm also going to throw a, Maria, a hug to Maria at Declan's. I mean, what a what a night, man! I had such a good time. Uh, it was everything you could ever want in an evening to watch a great game. Good hugs. Uh, I will. It bears repeating, hugging all of our fans on Twitter. Everyone who listens to us, thank you so much for the support. Thank you so much for the interactions. Shark mentioned it. We're trying to grow. We can't do that without you. So thank you so much for listening, interacting, following everything that you guys do. I also want to give a hug to our interview guests. Taylor had mentioned them, but I'm going to go line by line here really quick. Rapid fire. Providence crier, Mike Surrett, uh, Ryan Logue, Indiana super fan joined us. Jeff Nadu, big man on campus. Zach Noble, Taylor, your buddy, Palmer Yoakum, SEC Player of the Year, Chris Lofton, Duke Superfan, Jimmy McGinnis, Dayton's Dan Sullivan, Duke Superfan, Cody Hoxie, uh, Dayton Superfan, Patrick Doyle, Mike Burgomaster joined us earlier this year. We got to get him back on number one friend of the best friend of the program is what I think we dubbed him. Uh, even my lovely fiance, Rachel, she hopped on to discuss UCLA and their their place in our titch top 50 Moynihan did the same thing with UConn John Fanta our white whale that we were able to get last summer JD wise former Wisconsin basketball player of course the backdoor cut show guys they've hopped onto the program gave us a platform Pantalizidius, who had a wonderful career at DePaul looking forward to seeing what he does moving forward Max Gorin this is how long this is pandemic's been if you remember he went viral on Twitter for creating one shining moment when that was robbed from us last year. So thank you for joining. And of course, draft analyst, Matt Babcock. So all of those guys, thank you so much for joining the program this past year. We look forward to getting you back on. And we also look forward to uh, getting some new guests as well, which will be our goal for this off season. I want to try and get to two to three episodes per month. And in those episodes, we get as many guests and new guests as possible with also our recurring friends. So thank you so much to everyone. Hell of a season. And let me, let me finish it off here, fellas, with a quote from our favorite movie from one of our favorite characters, Jeremy Gray, when he's sitting on the steps at the Washington Monument. Hell of a season, pal. Hell of a season. Lincoln Memorial, but good, good, good take. Hell of a season, pal. Hell of a season.
Cause inside you know In one shot 